Um, I think uh, one of the greatest and um, worst realizations about being in ministry uh, is realizing how broken and weak I am. Um, that I wasn't the man that I thought I was. Um, that I wasn't who I wanted to be by this point. Um, and it's this, like, it's this constant struggle in my heart because I want so badly to be successful. Like, I want so badly to be great for people to recognize me. And um, it's, it's just, it's just been so difficult because I know that as time has gone on, I've just seen more and more of my own brokenness. And I, I've had to come to terms with, with that understanding because I realized that one of the reasons why I've had such a hard time opening up to people and one of, the hard, one of the reasons why I've had such a hard time building really deep and trusting relationships, which is pretty bad if you're a pastor, right? <laughs> but the reason why it's been so hard for me, I have to realize, is because I think subconsciously, in my mind, I thought, if I can at least keep people at an arm's length, just maybe, just maybe, they'll think I'm perfect. Just maybe they'll think I'm pretty good. Because... Look, I, I went to pretty good schools. I went to pretty famous churches. I have a pretty good family. So as long as they just keep their distance, as long as they just keep their, their place right there, then at least I think maybe, maybe I can be perfect. But the minute they step inside, and the minute they see me for who I really am, man, they're going to just see how broken and how weak I really am. And that has been one of the biggest realizations for me in terms of ministry, in terms of just working here, in terms of kind of seeking after the Lord more. And it's been something that I've had to reach and really understand in this church also. Because there's this expectation, I think, that I've placed on myself and that maybe in, in culture that we place on each other. And that's that leaders need to be perfect. That if you are here to lead, then you are here to be perfect. And I've had to struggle with that kind of idea. I had to struggle with that constantly in my heart. And so I think for a lot of us, we think that, oh, this leader, if he's a leader, then he has to be perfect. Or if I want to be a leader, if I want to be a leader, then I have to be perfect. And so for so many of us, we are so unwilling to take another step forward because we see that, no, no, that requires perfection when in fact the Bible never says that. It says the opposite, that we are just broken and that we are weak. And that's why, man, I, I just want to ask you guys, I think more than ever now in this season, can you pray for your leaders? Can you pray for me, please? If I don't have your prayers, then who's going to be praying for me? <laughs> if, if you're not praying for your life group leaders, then who? If you're not praying for this church, then who? And I'm not just saying about the people who you can see. There are people in the back serving every single week who are spending hours of their time serving the Lord and serving you that you will never see. And yet they serve. 
and they give and they lead. And so I just ask you to pray for us. Pray for this church. Pray for the leaders. Pray for me. Pray for the members. And one thing I want to make sure, too, is that in, in Philippians, we did a whole sermon series on, on the book of Philippians, and, and it's interesting because one thing that happened there is that Paul, he was in jail at that time, but at the same time, the, the church in Philippi, they were struggling. They were having a hard time there. And yet in the entire book, Paul never once says, I pray that your circumstances will change. He never once prays that. He never once prays, hey, I pray that God will work something and it will become easier for you. He never prays that. He says, I pray that you have joy in spite of your circumstances. He says, I pray that you have peace in spite of those things. I pray that you will be strong in spite of those things. And when you pray, I pray that you would pray the same thing. Don't pray that I would have an easy life. Don't pray that your leaders would have easy and, and all these types of easy conversations. No, no, no. Pray simply that God would bring joy and that he would show himself to be good and that we would cling onto him even more in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the hardships. So bring on the bad stuff. Bring on those things. Because you know what? If we can cling on to Jesus more, it's worth it. It's worth it. And I think that's what our, our church is. And that's what I, I am too. That I'm, I'm this broken, I'm this weak man. I have really nothing to offer. And yet, what I can promise you, and what I can do in leading this ministry, this church, in this season, is to simply say that I will cling on to Jesus Christ. And I will do my best in terms of that. That I'm not going to be able to give you very much. That I'm going to make mistakes, I'm going to be weak, but at the end of the day, I know who my God is. And I know what I'm going to do. And I'm going to just be desperate for the Lord. You see, David, he was, he was almost perfect. And and the reason I say that is because in the beginning, he had, he had the anointing of God on his life. He, out of all of his brothers, he was anointed by God, brought into kingship. He commanded armies. He slayed giants. He was a great man. And yet, the closer we look in his life, the closer we go into who he is, the more brokenness we see, the more weakness we see. And last week, we saw some of the greatest sins that you could ever commit. He committed. And today, what we're going to see is he, he commits one of another one of the greatest sins that you could commit and it causes thousands of deaths. And that's how we're going to end the life of David. <laughs> that's how we're going to end the series. Why are we ending it this way? Because even in his brokenness, even in his weakness, 
even through all of that, he was one of the greatest men in the Bible. He was a man after God's own heart. And what we're going to do is we're going to see why that is. And so let's look at this together. You see, in this passage here, what David does is something that, for us, we're not going to really understand. He, he counts the men in Israel. In other words, he's counting all of Israel's soldiers. He's going to each tribe in Israel, and he's finding out how many men were able to fight and join the army. And what we learn is that that was a sin, and it was a terrible sin. And it required a terrible punishment because of it. Why is this? There are two reasons why this was bad. The first is because what we learn is that Israel had a volunteer army. In other words, it was one that was formed only in cases of emergency when other nations invaded Israel. And so what would happen is they would gather the men at that point and defend the country. They would defend the nation. But you see, the purpose of counting your men, the reason you would do that is to begin forming an army that wasn't just for defensive purposes, it was to attack other people. You count your people so that when you look at other nations, you can see that you have more than they do. And therefore, you can go invade, and you can go attack, and you can conquer. That was the reason that you counted your men. So what was happening was that Israel was becoming like every other nation. They were becoming like every other place around them. And they were turning towards war instead of peace. And the one person who was in charge of that, the one person who was helping them conform the most was their king, King David. And what we see in the Bible is that Israel was called to be a place of peace. And yet what David was doing was turning them into war. What Israel was meant to be was a light to the nations around them. And yet what we see is that David was turning them into more violence. They were meant to be different. They were meant to be with God. And yet they saw the successes of the other nations. They saw what they could bring, and so they tried to be like everyone else. These other nations were built on the power and success of the world. But Israel, they were meant to be built on the trust in God. You see, they, had, they knew this. They understood this. They experienced this, that their security wasn't found in the money. It wasn't found in the power. It wasn't found in the weapons. They knew that it was found only in trusting in God, and yet they turned away. They began to conform. You see, that's the first reason why David and the nation was punished. And the second reason uh, is actually much more simple and yet much more important. Because the Bible doesn't say exactly why David was punished for counting his men. They, they never give that exact reason. We only have an idea. But what it does say is that it was wrong. This is something that I've kind of had to learn and I've had to struggle through 
is what it means to truly follow God. And what it means to truly follow God is obeying Him even when we don't understand. Sometimes, you know, God, He will give you a clear direction. Sometimes in the Bible, there will be clear, detailed reasons of why you should be doing something, of how you should be going, of what purpose is there for that. And yet, there will be many times when God does not give you the reason why. When you don't understand, for the life of you, you just just cannot see why God would lead you in that direction, why God would tell you to do that. And yet, we are still called to obey. This has been one of the biggest hurdles in my life. And you know, in uh, in Korean culture, uh, this is not too much of a problem, to be honest, because you kind of, you you don't really question authority, right? You kind of just bow and and obey, and and that's just how life is. But guess what? I grew up here, you know? (laughs) I just had to grow up in this place in in America, and... uh, And for me, growing up, when I didn't understand something or when I thought it was not a good enough reason, I refused to do it. I refused. I was a punk. I was, okay? And what I've done subconsciously is applied that to God as my authority. And look, you cannot do that. You just can't. And let me explain why I believe you can't do that. I have a niece and a nephew, and tomorrow I'm going to have another nephew. Um, I'll explain it to you if you don't know what that means. And it's been, it's been great seeing them grow up. I mean, it's been such a blessing, and I love them so much, and it's been awesome. Because when they're young, you know, you, you can, like, make baby sounds and, and stuff like that. You can try to talk with them, but you're honestly just talking to yourself, right? But as they get older... Oh, it's, it's, you see their personality coming out. You see their curiosity. You see just th- these different things about them. It's, it's fascinating to see that. And I think a lot of parents, you guys can relate to this too, that your kids or kids in general, they grow and they begin to think on their own. And, and the question they always ask is, why? 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 Hey, hey, uh, can, you, can you do this? Why? Because it, it will be good for you. Why? Because, it, you know, in your, your body, it will, you know, adjust. The, why? Because that, your body's made of atoms, and, the, you know, I, I, and sometimes I just get confused, and I just can't really relate, and it's just, it gets to that point because they keep on asking why, right? And so, <laughs> what... You know, have you had this experience? I'm sure we've all had. And, and you know, it, it gets to that point where I'm going to give you what I end up saying at the end of that. I say, okay, hey, buddy. All right, hey, buddy, yeah? Um, the reason why I want you to obey me is, and I, the reason why I want you to do this is because I'm a 30-year-old man and you're a five-year-old boy, okay? You may not understand me now, but if you only do things when it makes sense to you, then you're probably not going to live very long, okay? So just listen. Just obey. 
So that's kind of how it ends up becoming. I know that seems like a very extreme kind of thing, but isn't it ridiculous that we do the exact same thing to God? Isn't it ridiculous that I do the same exact thing to God? Think about the difference of a five-year-old to a 30-year-old, and now think about the difference between a sinful, finite human being to an infinite, perfect God. And if you only obey when it makes sense to you, then what you're doing is you're just agreeing. That's not obedience. Look, there's always going to be things in this life, right now, that we will not understand. And the only time that we will is when we see him in heaven. And for me, this has been one of the biggest struggles. And it's something that I have to choose every day. God, am I going to trust in you? Am I going to believe you even when I can't see? Even when I don't know the path before me? And so, what happens after this sin, after this failure of David? is that God, he sends down his judgment. And it's interesting because he actually gives David three choices. He says, either you can choose three years of famine, you can choose three months of military defeats, of running from your enemies, or you can choose three days of disease. Now what's interesting is that these three options are not actually a form of judgment, but of mercy. You see, what a famine does is it completely wipes out the nation's wealth. And so what happens is that Israel would have to serve and be under another country, and they would have to be subservient to somebody else. And so it would be the opposite of conquering others. They would have to ask and they would have to plead, and they would have to beg for help. When only a little while ago, they were getting ready to conquer those exact nations. The second option would be them running from their enemies. They would face defeat after defeat, always losing and always running. And lastly, they could choose to die by death, by death, by disease. In other words, the army that they tried so hard to form, the army that they were counting off, would be gone. It would be gone. You see, the judgment of God is really the mercy of God because what he's doing is taking away all the idols that David and Israel were, hold, were holding. He saw that they wanted economic success. He saw that they wanted military might. He saw that they were heading towards what was completely wrong, that they were heading towards the dark. And so what he does is he takes those idols away. God is destroying the idols that David held close so that the only thing that would be left for him to hold on to would be God. And this is why trusting and obeying in God even when you don't understand, is so important. It's crucial to your faith. 
Everyone else in this world will see life as unfair. And everyone in this world will see God as a judge who brings suffering and who brings pain. And yet what we understand as brothers and sisters, what we understand as people who believe in Jesus Christ and in God, is that God's judgment is actually his mercy. That even in the most difficult of situations, that even when you are struggling, that even when you continue to fail and fail and fail again, that even in those times, God is able to do something great in your life. One of the most important verses in my life has always been Genesis 50, 20. When Joseph, when he meets his brothers, and they had sinned again and again, they had almost, they had tried to kill him. And he had gone through every turmoil, every conflict, every single thing under the sun that you could face. And so they go up to him, and they bow to him, ask for forgiveness. And he says, look, look, don't worry. Don't worry, because what you meant for evil, God intended for good. You see, what you tried to do for evil, what you tried to do for bad, you know what, God is still able to do for good. And that's the difference between us and the world. That's the difference between being a Christian and a non-Christian. It's that understanding that yes, the world will go through everything and we will experience all the difficulties in the world and we will go through failure and failure and failure again. And yet in the end, we know we have a hope knowing that God is doing it for his glory and our good. We trust in that. And I trust in that. That the reason he would bring judgment is simply for mercy. Because he knows, he knows what our idols are. He knows what your idols are better than you know yourself. And the reason why he brings those judgments, the reason why he's doing that, is not because he hates you. It's not because he's mean. It's because he loves you. And it's because he's trying to take that away from you. So that the only thing you can do is cling on to him. That's why it says in James 2.13, his mercy triumphs over judgment. Even in the darkest of moments, I realized that it's only dark because my eyes were shut. And when I finally understood that God was in control and that he was completely in love with me, that's when my eyes opened and I realized that there was light. So what David does is he chooses the last option, the disease. And it says in verse 15, so the Lord, he sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men. Do you see what happened? 70,000 men. 70,000 men who, have, who would have otherwise fought and died taking over and enslaving other countries. It was God's judgment and it was God's mercy 
that he sent this plague. But what's interesting also is that we see something change in verse 17. David, he, he sees the people dying, and it's too much for him to bear, so he, he cries out to God, and he says, Behold, I have sinned, I have been wicked. But these sheep, these people, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and my father's house. He's saying, look, these sheep, I'm their shepherd. I'm their leader. I'm their king. And so God, don't judge them anymore. Judge me. Let me die in their place. And so what God does is he tells David to go and make an altar on the floor of Aruna and to make a sacrifice. What's interesting is that in 2 Chronicles, it tells us that the floor of Aruna was actually on a mountain called Mount Moriah. This place is historically significant for two reasons. The first is because Mount Moriah was the place where Abraham went up to sacrifice his son Isaac. At the last moment, God stopped Abraham. And they sacrificed a ram instead. They did an animal sacrificing in place of Isaac. And now God, he tells David to go up to the same mountain. But instead of sacrificing David, God tells him to sacrifice an ox to cover the judgment that was meant for him. But the main reason why Mount Moriah was so historically significant was because centuries later after David, they would build the temple of God on that mountain. And we learned that it was in that temple, centuries later, that the ultimate sacrifice was made. And in that temple, the veil that was covering us, that was separating us from God, it tore completely in two. And so God, he knew, he knew these things. He knew why he brought Abraham to that place. He knew why he brought David to that place. He knew that their sacrifices weren't enough. And that those animal sacrifices would never be enough that he needed the perfect sacrifice. And so what happened was that the ultimate king, the true shepherd, our God, our Lord Jesus Christ, came down and died on the cross for our sins. Look, brothers and sisters, do you trust God? Even in your worst moments, even when you can't see what's in front of you, do you trust in the Lord? Do you trust that he's good? That he is love? That he cares for you? That even when the world tells you he doesn't, that even when friends and, and family may say otherwise, even when you can't see what's in front of you, will you still trust in God? that even when it seems like his judgment is coming down, it's actually his mercy.
It's actually his goodness. And it's because he loves you. And he cares for you. And he wants you. Look, man, I'm, I'm broken. And we are, we are broken as a church. But I know that there is nothing in this world that I want more than Jesus Christ. I, I know that. There's nothing I trust more than God's love for me. I believe that. And I trust that. And I pray and I hope that that is your desire as well. Let's pray.